Good morning, everyone. Um, It's lovely to be here. Um, And the Bible reading this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 7, verses 2 to 16. So I'm going to read that now. Make room for us in your hearts. We have wronged no one. We have corrupted no one. We have exploited no one. I do not say this to condemn you. I have said before that you have such a place in our hearts that we would live or die with you. I have spoken to you with great frankness. I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. In all our troubles, my joy knows no bounds. For when we came into Macedonia, we had no rest, but we were harassed at every turn. Conflicts on the outside, fears within. But God, who comforts the downcast, comforted us by the coming of Titus. And not only by his coming, but also by the comfort you had given him. He had told us about your longing for me, your deep sorrow, your ardent concern for me, so that my joy was greater than ever. Even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see that my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but because your sorrow led you to repentance. For you became sorrowful as God intended, and so were not harmed in any way by us. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret. But worldly sorrow brings death. See what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing to... What longing... What concern, what readiness to see justice done. At every point, you proved yourselves to be innocent in this matter. So even though I wrote to you, it was neither on account of the one who did the wrong, nor on account of the injured party, but rather that before God, you could see for yourselves how devoted to us you are. By all this, we're encouraged. In addition to our own encouragement, we were especially delighted to see how happy Titus was, because his spirit has been refreshed by all of you. I had boasted to him about you, and you have not embarrassed me. But just as everything we said to you was true, so our boasting about you to Titus has proved to be true as well. And his affection for you is all the greater when he remembers that you were all obedient, receiving him with fear and trembling. I am glad I can have complete confidence in you. I'm going to pray, and then I'm going to speak about this passage. Lord Jesus, we thank you for these words. We thank you for 2 Corinthians and the encouragement that it is to us. And Lord, I pray that as I speak this morning, you would move in power by your Holy Spirit, wherever we are, that you would speak to us. In Jesus' name, amen. Now, we've been hearing about plans for Christmas at HTC. And the other day, I was flicking through this John Lewis magazine that had come in the post. And I landed on this article entitled, The Meaning of the Season. And it says this, right now, we don't know whether we'll be able to be with our family and friends in person. We hope to travel, we hope to hug and laugh and probably squabble, but the truth is, we don't know. So, I'm investing in a good quality screen, seriously, because if Christmas is about anything, it's about togetherness. 
being with people who know and love you. And this year, if they can't be there in person, they can at least be there on Zoom. That's what it said, honestly. Now, I enjoyed the John Lewis Christmas magazine, but investing in a good quality screen this Christmas won't cut it. But we do have a reason not to lose heart, as is the title of this sermon series, and as it says in big letters on the side of the church building. This morning's passage shows us that we don't lose heart, even when we get things really wrong. We don't lose heart this Christmas because of Jesus, and we can always turn to him. We can choose faithfulness to Jesus rather than compromise at this time. So we're in 2 Corinthians chapter 7, and Paul is telling the Corinthians how encouraged he is by them. This is 2 Corinthians. Paul had already written to the Corinthians before in 1 Corinthians, and it's thought he wrote a letter before that that was lost. And in his earlier letters, Paul had challenged the Corinthians about their sin. They were divided. There was jealousy and quarreling among them. They were arrogant and greedy. There was sexual immorality and idolatry and gossip and drunkenness. They were sleeping with prostitutes. Basically, they were a mess. But Paul is now saying to these Corinthians how they've encouraged him because they have turned to God in repentance. Paul says this. He says, even if I caused you sorrow by my letter, I do not regret it. Though I did regret it, I see my letter hurt you, but only for a little while. Yet now I am happy, not because you were made sorry, but your sorrow led you to repentance. Paul is saying, I wrote you, Corinthians, I know my letter hurt you, but I'm so glad that you turned to God in repentance. Paul says to the Corinthians in verse 3, I take great pride in you. I am greatly encouraged. Paul is encouraged because the Corinthians have turned to God in repentance. And because they were concerned about Paul, even though he had challenged them. Now the key verse I want to speak about this morning is 2 Corinthians chapter 7 verse 10. And it says this, it says, Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret but worldly sorrow brings death. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation and leaves no regret, but worldly sorrow brings death. So in verse 10, we have a contrast between godly sorrow and worldly sorrow. The Corinthians had chosen godly sorrow and repentance rather than worldly sorrow. They'd chosen to repent. They'd chosen to pursue God. They'd chosen to turn away from sin. So worldly sorrow is negative for us, and it's negative for those around us. It's when our sorrow and our sadness lead us to focus more and more on ourselves. Our sin and our sadness mean we turn inward in self-pity and in shame, and then outwardly we neglect and mistreat those people around us. Graham Tomlin has written a great new book um, called Why Being Yourself is a Bad Idea. And in that book, he says this. Evil happens when people get so wrapped up in themselves that they become isolated within a self-enclosed bubble in which they turn inwards, wither and die, neglecting their neighbor 
or turning against them in hatred. Worldly sorrow means we turn in on ourselves and become self-absorbed. And worldly sorrow is so easy, isn't it, in a pandemic and in lockdown. Worldly sorrow means we neglect and ignore the people around us or we turn against those around us in anger and in bitterness. Worldly sorrow, as Paul says, leads to death. But godly sorrow is different. Godly sorrow is when we're sad about our sin and we turn to God. The Corinthians were in a real mess. They had fallen short. They'd fallen short in all sorts of ways, but they had turned to God in repentance. And repentance means to change direction. It means to turn to God away from the sin. So godly sorrow produces change in us. Rather than turning inwards in bitterness and then outwards in anger, we turn to God in humility. We acknowledge our weakness. We acknowledge our need for Jesus. C.S. Lewis said this about repentance. He said, this process of surrender is what Christians call repentance. Now, repentance is no fun at all. I love C.S. Lewis. He says it as it is. Repentance is no fun at all. And then he goes on to say that repentance is something much harder than eating humble pie. Repentance means unlearning all the self-conceit and self-will we have been training ourselves into for thousands of years. It means killing your part of yourself, undergoing a kind of death. Godly sorrow brings repentance that leads to salvation. We bring our sorrow to Jesus. We turn away from sin and then we are completely forgiven and our relationship with God is made right. Now, I studied German at university and as part of that um, study, I had a year abroad and I lived in Berlin for the year. And I was a proper tourist when I lived in Berlin. I visited lots of places all around Germany. And I remember um, on one occasion visiting the German city of Weimar. It's in East Germany. Weimar is a, is a great place. It's a bit like the German version of Stratford-upon-Avon. Goethe, the German writer, came from Weimar. And it's historic. It's pretty. It's touristy. It's a nice town. But on the hill just outside Weimar is Buchenwald, the remains of the former Nazi concentration camp. And I vividly remember standing in the square in the middle of Weimar and somebody saying to me, the person I was with, saying to me, people in Weimar in the 1930s carried on their lives and saw full trains of people go into the mountains and not come back. And those people in Weimar didn't know exactly what was going on in the hill above their town, but they chose not to know. They chose to carry on their lives rather than to feel any sense of sorrow about what was going on just moments away. They chose compromise. They knew that what was going on probably wasn't right, but they could, they could have tried to stop it, but they did nothing. They chose not to feel any kind of sorrow, but to carry on with their lives. Godly sorrow is important. Ignoring tragedy, ignoring the tragedy that was going on moments from Weimar was wrong. Obviously, that was wrong. We can all see that. It's actually shocking now to think that people could ignore the horrors of the Nazi concentration camps. 
Godly sorrow is important when it leads us to turn to God in repentance. And sometimes that's for relational sin, like for the Corinthians. They were ignoring quarreling and sexual sin. And there's a temptation to ignore the sin going on in us. That temptation will be there for all of us. And sometimes we're tempted to ignore the bigger injustices in our world, maybe racial injustice or sex trafficking. But our doing nothing, like for those people in Weimar, our not standing up against the wrong makes us compliant with the sin of others. And Paul shows us in this passage that the benefits of godly sorrow are so much better than we can imagine. Godly sorrow brings repentance, which leads to salvation and leaves no regret. Godly sorrow brings salvation. Our sins are completely forgiven. We don't have to live with regret. We leave our sin with God and he forgives us completely. At the end of chapter 6, the chapter just before the one I read today, um, Paul quotes lots of Old Testament promises of God. And our salvation means that those Old Testament promises of God are for us. God says, I will live among them and walk among them. I will be their God and they will be my people. He says, I will be a father to you and you will be my sons and daughters. Those Old Testament promises that Paul quotes at the end of chapter 6 are ours. God is with us now. We're his sons and daughters, sons and daughters of the King of Kings, adopted children of God. Godly sorrow leads to salvation and godly sorrow leads to a passion for holiness. Look at verse 11. Verse 11 says, see what this godly sorrow has produced in you. What earnestness, what eagerness to clear yourselves, what indignation, what alarm, what longing, what concern, what readiness to see justice done. And I wonder where in our lives that godly sorrow produces in us indignation, alarm, a longing to see justice done, that real desire for holiness. So what do we need to do? We need to ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to us where in our lives we need to feel some godly sorrow. We need to ask the Holy Spirit to convict us. There's no need for pretense. We don't need, like those people in Weimar in the 1930s and 40s, to pretend that the horror isn't there. Godly sorrow is necessary where there's wrongdoing. And then when we repent, there is no regret. We don't need to live with guilt and shame or condemnation because the forgiveness of Jesus is complete. Even if the sin is great, our sins are completely forgiven. So don't lose heart. We can always turn to God in repentance. Let's tell the world this Christmas that whether we can meet or not, whether we see people or not, whether this Christmas is full of happiness or full of sadness, there is a God who comforts the downcast, who came in the person of Jesus, and he brings us real joy, real hope, real salvation, whatever the circumstances. He offers us total forgiveness with no regret when we turn to him in repentance.